You know, the subject of fear. And I got to tell you, the reason that I thought about preaching on a subject like fear is because fear is a subject that is oftentimes mentioned, but very seldom do we hear what the Bible says about fear. In fact, I went home this, from my meeting in Idaho, and I spent a lot of time this week, and I came up with a whole lot of stuff regarding fear. And what does God say about that? You know, it's very interesting that psychologists say that we are born into this world with only two fears. Number one, we have the fear of falling. And number two, we have the fear of noise. And that's why when we get these little infants, we want to make sure that we don't have it too noisy around them. And oftentimes, if they're going to be placed in a great big stadium or whatever where there's a lot, lot of loud noise, they put headphones on them because they're afraid of noise. And that's why also we take a little child and we wrap them up and we hope that they feel secure because they have a fear of falling. What happens, though, over the process of time we find that we develop many more fears. In fact, it would be very interesting to note, and I don't know the answer to this, how many phobias are described and defined in the dictionary. Let me just mention or suggest a few of these. Misophobia is the fear of dirt. Hydrophobia is the fear of water. Nyclophobia is the fear of darkness. Acrophobia is the fear of high places. Taxophobia is the fear of being buried alive. Xenophobia is the fear of strangers. Necrophobia is the fear of the dead. Claustrophobia is the fear of confined places. And triskaidekaphobia is the fear of the number 13. And there are many, many more. Today, people are frantic with fear. Members of psychology class got together one time. And they had a project. You know what they did? They went out and they asked 500 people, what are you afraid of? And some of those people would list a whole long list of things that they were afraid of. But of the 500 people that were asked, get this, that project came up with this, and they came up with 7,000 fears that 500 people actually had. You know, it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus Christ came to deliver us from our fears. And I have to make this point, though, that in our sermon, we're going to notice the two kinds of fear that are, that are described. And when I say about fear, when I talk about fear, I'm not talking about phobias, by the way. You know, there's very little you can do with having a fear of heights. If, you, if you're afraid of heights, very little you can do with that. What I'm talking about is I want to talk about what the Bible says about fear that always comes with the choice. Fear that comes with a choice. Here's the point. Fear and faith are at odds with each other. And I'm going to say this at the very beginning of this lesson. Say it again. Fear and faith are at odds. If you are fear-driven, you are not faith-driven. If you're a person of faith, you can't be a person of fear. If you in your life, if fear is what drives you, if fear is what motivates you, if fear is what makes you what you are, you are not a person of faith. You need to add to your faith. You need to get better about that. But that's a whole other lesson. In this sermon, though, we want to notice the following. That the Bible does consider two kinds of fear. And the first one, by the way, the first one actually is commanded in the scriptures. And that is this. It's the kind of fear that involves respect, honor, reverence, and even a sense of awe. 
In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning there in verse 13, it says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. How about in the book of Acts? Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. The Hebrew writer writing to those Jewish Christians in the book of Hebrews wrote this. By faith, in verse 7, being divinely warned of things yet not seen, moved with godly fear prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So when you have this kind of respect, when you have this kind of fear for God, which is reverence, respect, and honor, it leads to some things that are of great benefit to you and I. Have you ever stopped to consider that when God tells us to do something, it not only is that we obey what he said, but it's also a tremendous practical benefit for us in our life. You know what the Bible says about a Christian when you obey the gospel? Sometimes people think, well, once I'm saved, once I obey the gospel, that's it. I'm just saved. But our life begins as a babe in Christ, so everything in our life just begins. It's not a destination. It's a journey, and it begins at birth, and that's at baptism. And you have heard me preach this in the past. You've heard me say that when a child of God comes from the waters of baptism, he's now a child of God, he has a threefold responding obligation. I'm going to be very brief. One, he has a responding obligation to himself to desire the sincere milk of the word to grow. Number two, he has a responding obligation to others to bear one another's burdens. But you remember what the Bible says about our responding obligation to God? Our responding obligation to God is to live a holy life. In fact, God said, I am holy. Live holy. Be holy. For I am holy. Holy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, if a person is going to have this kind of fear and reverence and respect, it's going to help us with holiness. Therefore, having these promises, 2 Corinthians 7 and 1, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. They go together. Have you ever stopped to consider if you're struggling spiritually and you're struggling living a holy life? Maybe it's because you don't have the proper reverence and respect for God. If you're trying to live your life day by day just as it comes, and you're struggling with living a holy life, have you ever stopped to consider that the reason for that is you don't have the proper fear of God? You don't have a proper reverence and respect for God. You don't have a proper honor for God. You don't look to God with awe in your heart. You know, the Bible talks about godliness, and we know what that means. It's a practical awareness of God in every aspect of your life. So by that, you're going to make better choices, and it will always demonstrate itself in outward behavior, which is righteous living. If you're struggling spiritually with a holy life, maybe it's because God is not at the forefront of your thinking.
But there's more. Not only will having the proper reverence and respect for God help us in living a holy life, but it will also help us do something else that the Bible commands us to do, and that is to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. i got to make a point about this workout, okay? Work out your salvation. It doesn't mean, as some would assume and suppose, that what Paul was talking about is, you do it your way and I'll do it mine. It doesn't mean that at all. Sometimes people say, well, you know, the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that means this, I have a personal relationship with the Lord, I'll do it my way. This guy over here, he's got his relationship with the Lord, he'll do it his way, and so on and so forth. But working out your own salvation deals with your own personal accountability to what the Word of God says. In other words, I can't do it for you, and you can't do it for me. I have to work it out in my life. I have to work it out in my life with the things that I do and the things that I say and the things that I'm involved in. And so do you. That's what that means. But I want to notice this right here. What does it mean, fear and trembling? You know, I think about these words, and it sounds like almost it's a matter of in the corner, scared out of your mind, and trembling and shaking. I got to tell you something. Years and years and years and years ago, I got up to give a, a five-minute talk at a big meeting, and I will never forget how I felt. I was so nervous. I was so scared. I'm not kidding you. My knees were actually going like this. I was trembling. And, you know, that's just kind of what happens to us when we do something new. We try something new, and we have nerves when we're just getting going. I was extremely nervous, so I was trembling. Is that what this verse means, though? No, it doesn't. Fear and trembling here does not mean what I just described to you. The phrase fear and trembling is an Old Testament expression, and it denotes the following. It means this. It is a humble reverence and dependence and devotion to God. That's what it means. It doesn't mean scared to death, kind of like that movie, you know, The Ghost and Mr. Chicken, you know, with the and, you know, Barney, uh, Don Knotts. Shaking all the time? It's not what that means. It means this. If I'm going to work out my salvation with fear and trembling, it means this. I'm going to have a humble reverence. I'm going to have dependence. And I'm going to have total devotion to God. So having the proper reverence for God leads to not only a holy life, not only being able to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, but one more. It even helps with our responsibility of evangelism. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. Now this looks like a scary word here, the word terror. And if we use that in a sense that we might know in a, in a common vernacular, we might talk about being terrified. And again, we're talking about frightened. We're talking about things that just scare us out of our mind. Again, that's not this word. This word in this passage literally means fear, reverence, respect, and honor. 
In other words, it's not telling you to be afraid of God. In fact, Robinson further explains it in this passage to mean this. A deep and reverential feeling of accountability to God or Christ. Can't you see the practical benefit? People sometimes struggle. I need some practical stuff. I'm giving you practical stuff. And it all begins with having the proper reverence and respect for God. And it leads to holiness. It leads to working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And it even works toward helping others and letting others persuade men or showing others about the Lord. Now, Paul felt that way. I will add this, though, before we go any further. I remember Daryl used to say, I, I'm a, I fear or I'm afraid of what God can do to me. That's true. God is so awesome and powerful that he can do anything that he wants to do. And in his providence, he does that. He can do it directly. He can do it indirectly. He can do whatever he wants to. But when you talk about the fear of God, yes, we understand that God can do things to us that are not, not good for us. But if you think about it this way, if you have the right kind of fear, a reverential feeling of respect for God, you understand, look it, I'm accountable to God and Jesus Christ. I'm accountable. All right. So that's the kind of fear, by the way, that is commanded. And I said that we're going to notice two. And I have to say this, again, I'm not talking about phobias, okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about caution. More on that in a minute. I'm talking about what is found in the Bible. One is commanded, and get this, the other one is forbidden. It's forbidden. What's forbidden? What is it? Stay with me on this. It is the fear that is that of dread, alarm, Fright, terror, apprehension, anxiety, perplexity, and distrust. I'm going to prove this stuff, okay? I'm going to prove this to you. You know what I got to thinking? There's a word up there that hit me right between the eyes. There's a word on that screen right there that hit me right between the eyes. I had never put that word with perhaps fear or forbidden fear. I'm not going to tell you which one it is, though, by the way. We all got probably one up there. I'm not going to tell you. But I'm going to tell you this. It's up there. I got to work on that. Maybe you see some words up there you got to work on, too. Remember this. It's the fear in the Bible that is forbidden, and we'll notice why it's forbidden. These are synonymous terms that are on the board with this kind of fear. This kind of fear is forbidden. Psalm 91 and verse 5. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Now notice what he's saying here. We're talking about two things. This is danger. This represents danger. That's arrow. Terror represents fear of danger. So what the psalmist David is recording in the long ago is this. Do not be afraid of the fear of danger and do not be afraid of the danger itself. Interesting. In other words, 
These things will never affect the one that puts his trust in the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that if you put your trust in the Lord, everything will work out and you won't have bad stuff that sometimes happens. Not saying that at all. What I'm saying is it doesn't matter. If you put your faith and trust in the Lord completely, you are, you are putting your life in God's hands in both time and eternity. So notice, fear of danger won't matter. Danger itself won't matter because you put everything in God's hands and it won't matter. Listen to this. Again, are we going to be a person of fear or are we going to be a person of faith? Let me just ask you this. Can you ever think of a time? Can you ever think of a time that you made a scared decision that it was probably the very best decision for you? You made it out of fear. Maybe you made it out of desperation. You didn't think about it. You didn't weigh it all out. You didn't make it with faith in mind. You didn't make it with trust in God in mind. You made it with fear because you were scared. What did Jesus say? Do not fear, little flock. Now, obviously, in the context of this, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking to 12 men. So in the context, what he's saying is, he says, little flock, meaning small in number. And he was talking about a time before the kingdom or the church was established. And what did he tell them? He said, don't be afraid. Don't fear, little flock. He said, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's before the, ki the church or the kingdom was established. Now, interestingly about that, uh, Bowles wrote this. Bowles said this. Disciples are not to worry about their spiritual food and support. The apostles were the charter members of the church. They are, the church is the earthly institution of the heavenly kingdom. And just say this too. We now have the kingdom in place. It's the church. Now let me just ask you this. When the Bible says that the church will be handed back over to his father, and we have that promise. We may be a small band of believers, but Jesus says, don't fear. He said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, this type of fear is not to be confused with caution. Make this point. If you fear that you're going to get run over in the road, okay, you'll look both ways when you cross the street. If you have a fear of polio, you'll get a vaccine. These types of fears are normal and good. In fact, the Bible talks about being sober. And sober in the Bible, in the New Testament, means of sober mind. It literally means to be seriously minded. So, if a person is seriously minded, they are cautious. How do I know that? Because the word sober also means circumspect. Big word. What's it mean? Circumspect literally means this. In practicality, it's a matter of evaluating every possible circumstance of my choice before I make the decision. That's caution. That's good. So that's not the fear I'm talking about. Fear does not mean caution. Fear, caution is not condemned. I'm talking about the things that are forbidden. Well, first of all, let's talk about some areas wherein fear operates. Fear sometimes keeps us from being all that we can be. And do you know what? One of those 
is fear of failure. I'm going to tell you, this gets a lot of us. It gets a lot of men and makes them afraid to try because they don't want to fail. I got to tell you a little story. Years ago, I don't know, it might be 25 years ago, I don't know. But I'll just tell you, one of the things that I was always uncomfortable with as a young person, I was always uncomfortable getting up and leading a song, especially a song that I didn't really know that well. And I was very, I don't know, I don't know what you call that, but I was always nervous about that. And I'll never forget, I went up to Terry, and Terry said, why don't you lead this song? I said, I don't think I can, Terry. In fact, I was trying to get him to lead it. You lead it. You're better than I am. Terry said, no, you do it. And I said, but you don't understand. I don't want to mess it up. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, now Terry's an outstanding song leader. We all know that. You know what Terry said to me? He said, I have gotten up in front of huge crowds and I have butchered songs. And nobody has ever branded me Terry Osborne song wrecker. I'll never forget that. Sometimes people don't try because people are afraid to fail. Jesus dealt with this very thing. The one talent man, Matthew 25 and 25. Notice, I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Now, we always spend time talking about the burial of the talent. And we say this, the five talent guy went out and got Five more got ten. The two-talent guy went out and got double that. He got four. But the one-talent man went and buried the talent. And sometimes we leave it right there. And we say what Jesus said and we move on. But if you ever stop to consider the one-talent man, if he would have done something with his one talent, he'd have had two. Have you ever stopped to consider that you may have a talent or an ability that is not really readily aware or available or what you see or what others see in you, it has to be developed. Sometimes we say this, oh, man, he's got a lot of ability. That guy right there has got a lot of ability. Okay, he does. But I'm going to tell you right now, sometimes we have abilities and we don't know what we can be with that until we go and work and try. Sometimes fear keeps us from being all that we can be for the cause of Christ. Why? Fear of failure. Are you using your talents? Or are you just on cruise control? In the last 10 years, have you grown at all? I'm talking to the men. Young men. Old men. I'm talking to all of us. Me too. Have you grown? Have you reached outside your comfort level? Have you decided to go out and be better and do all you can do? Or are you in cruise control doing the same thing over and over again, year after year after year after year? I don't know what you got, but God wants all of it. He wants whatever that it is. Sometimes people fail because they are afraid to fail. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, here's a great encouragement. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Notice, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Don't be afraid of failure. Everything you do for the cause of Christ, none of it is in vain. And God can use it. It's our duty to do the best we can and leave the results in the hands 
of God. Number th- next also, sometimes men fear not only failure, but they feel, fear responsibility. You know, I don't want to, sometimes people say, I don't want the pressure of responsibility. I don't want to be responsible. I don't want to take on that task because I don't want to be responsible for that. I don't want to do that because maybe I have to change how I am and who I am a little bit. Maybe people will look at me differently. Maybe they'll expect more of me. Sometimes people don't do what they should do, and they have fear because they fear responsibility. That was the same thing that was true with Matthew 25 and 25 with the one-talent man, but there's more. Fear will keep us from our responsibility of being fishers of men. Notice what Jesus said in Luke chapter 5 and verse 10. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. That's our responsibility of doing all that we can. The next one here, sometimes people fear this. And I'll tell you this. Anybody that gets to be around 30, you start thinking about this. But good news, in time you realize it's not really a problem. You're not really old. But one of the problems that people have is this, the fear of old age. You've heard me say this. I used to think when I was 24 that 50 was as old as dirt. I don't think that way at all now. I'm 52, man. I'm in my prime. Great stuff. Not old at all. Sometimes people are held back for all they could be because they fear old age. But did you know the Bible teaches that honor and glory are attached to old age? Listen to Leviticus 19 and 32. Listen to this. You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God I am the Lord. In Proverbs 16 and 31, the silver-haired head is a crown of glory if it is found in the way of righteousness. And I got to say, if you're a young person here, don't ever forget the two passages I just showed you. You know, you get wisdom, and I do too, when we ask of God, okay? When we ask of God. And the Bible says he gives it liberally. Number two. I also get wisdom when I go mess up. And I make mistakes. I make the wrong choice. And I survive the wrong choice. And I learn from my experience. I get wisdom. That's number two. But I like what one man said one time. You cannot mess up enough. And recover. And have all the wisdom that you're going to need. So you know what? I need to go talk to Brother Reuben Creekball a little bit. I need to learn a little wisdom from him. Or Jack Holiday. I need to go talk to people that are older than me. I'm talking to young people here. Look at those that are older with dear respect. They've got so much knowledge and experience and wisdom. And we can all learn from that. That's precious. I love it. The silver-haired head is a crown of glory if it is found in the way of righteousness. So if a child of God is an older person, it is precious not only in the eyes of God, but it's priceless For you and me. I read an article, by the way, it's entitled, listen to this, it's entitled Rethinking Retirement. I want to read you this little excerpt from it. 
Rethinking Retirement. The author wrote, currently the average life expectancy in the United States is 78.7 years. This means that most of the 3.65 million persons in the United States are projected to turn 65 this year, may expect to live a dozen or more years. Some will likely live another 35 years or more. Interesting. So this author said this, but life is more than years. As the Irish author Jonathan, Jonathan Swift states, may you live all the days of your life. He went on to say that many folks today view retirement as nothing more than an extended time of leisure. As one man quipped, when I retire, I'm going to do absolutely nothing. And I'm going to start that about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Compare that with the Bible, would you? Compare that with the Bible. How about Psalm 92, verses 13 and 14? Look at this passage here. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. Bear fruit. Do you know that some of the greatest accomplishments in life have been accomplished by people that were older? Mr. Webster wrote his dictionary at the age of 70. Moses was 80. 80. When he led Israel out of bondage. So listen, let's not fear old age. It's precious. It's priceless. And I'm telling you right now, older person, we need you with all you can do. Okay? Here's another one, though. This gets a lot of us. Sometimes we are fear-driven. Sometimes fear is in our life because of this. Because we fear what others will say, do, or think. And sometimes we're afraid because we're scared to death what somebody else might say, do, or think. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. Notice. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who also... He has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Notice what we have here. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. But fear him. That's reverence and respect and honor and awe for God. Fear him. Now, oftentimes this type of fear causes us to do wrong. It causes us to make mistakes, causes us to sin. Because this is the same kind of fear, by the way, where Peter denied the Lord. Notice. Now, this is an apostle, the apostle Peter. Watch what happened to him because he feared what other men would say or do or think. Notice, now Peter sat outside the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all saying, I know not who you, uh, what you are saying. 
And when he had gone out of the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him before the rooster crows, You will deny me three times, or thrice. So he went out and he wept bitterly. This is a kind of fear that can get all of us. It got Peter one more time, one more passage. It got Peter one more time. And you remember that Peter was the instrument of God that took the gospel to the Gentiles for the very first time. Everybody up to Acts 10 was a converted Jew. In other words, they had Jewish blood running through their veins. They were Jews. The gospel went to the Jew first, but as it says, it was also to the Greek or the Gentile. Peter was the instrument in the household of Cornelius to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. If anybody would have known better, it was Peter. Look what happened to Peter, though. Galatians 2, 11 through 13. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face. Why, Paul? Because he was to be blamed. Why, Paul? For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles... But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. That's the Jews. In other words, when the Jews showed up, I'm afraid of what men will say. I'm afraid of what men will do. I'm afraid of what will come, come upon me. So he refused to eat with the Gentiles. And notice, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with hypocrisy. Today, fear, this kind of fear keeps one from taking a stand for the truth. Listen, young person, let me ask you something. When you are in the midst of your friends and they are doing things you know are not right and they are behaving in ways that are not right and they're wearing things they should not wear, let me ask you something. Do you go along with it because you're afraid? Or do you stand for what's right? When they do things that are wrong, do you stand for what's right or are you afraid? What happens is we get afraid and we're scared to death what other people say. Listen, this is real stuff. Let me tell you, let me tell you about something that happened when I was in 7th and 8th grade. Remember this like yesterday. There were some good friends of ours called, and their last name was the Sanders. They had five boys, okay? Let me tell you about peer pressure in a ridiculous sense. Five boys. Do you remember, you might remember, remember Ocean Pacific shirts, OP? And uh, you weren't cool if you didn't have a shirt that had OP on it. Remember that? Okay. Well, they were very expensive. And the OP that was sewn on the shirt cost about double or triple what you can buy a shirt for. Okay? So... The Sanders boys, all five boys, they didn't want to go be made fun of at school when mom and dad got them some knockoff brand and they wore that shirt even though it looked the same. You know what she did? I'll never forget this. She said, I, I buy the shirts and I sew OP on the shirt so that they don't have to be criticized 
or put down. You know why? Because people are held back for the fear of what people will say. Let that not trickle into your spiritual life. Let it not trickle over into your spiritual life. Let me talk about some tragic effects of fear. I read some stuff I'm going to read to you briefly. One man wrote this. Fear is a dark room where negatives are developed. Another said, fear will prevent one from doing the will of God. Another said, fear renders one useless. I've got to use that word. We've got to talk about that word useless. Because you know what society says? Nobody's useless. What does the Bible say? Do you remember when Onesimus, the runaway slave, left Philemon? And he went and he heard the gospel from Paul? And he was baptized and he changed his life. Do you remember what happened? Paul writes the letter back to Philemon. And Paul said he was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. In fact, the word Onesimus, and many times in the Bible, the word, the names meant something. Onesimus literally means useful. So, if I say someone's useless, it's because they're being unprofitable. Didn't say they were a bad person. Didn't say they were rotten. Didn't say they were no good. Didn't say they need to have low self-esteem. I didn't say any of that. What I said is, useless means unprofitable. We're either one or the other. But fear can make us useless. We are in an important battle, and we need people of courage. Fear brings on the very thing that we fear. Did you ever think of that? Did you ever think of that? Fear brings on the very thing that we fear the most. Remember when Peter was in the boat and the disciples are scared they see Jesus walking on water and they're scared they think they saw a ghost? Jesus said, don't be afraid. There's that phrase again. Don't be afraid. It is I. Peter said, if it's really you, bid that I would come out to you. And he says, come on. And Peter, for a little while, walked on water too. What was Peter's biggest problem? He lost, number one, his focus on Jesus. He turned his eye to the peripheral issues that were around him. His fears overtook him, which means what? He has no faith. And his greatest fear was sinking. You know what happened? He sunk. And he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus reaches out and says, Peter, why'd you doubt? Oh, you have little faith. Don't you see? Fear and faith don't go together. They don't go together. I got to read this to you. Boy, I learned something. Fear of disease or illness brings on illness. Research has shown that 85% of the emotional and physical ills of men are brought on by fear. Okay? It's no secret I've had cancer. I want to tell you something. I'm going to admit something to you. I think maybe Tina's the only one I probably said this to over the years. But I'll admit this. For 15 years of my life before I got sick, my greatest fear was cancer. I would pray to God, please don't let me get cancer. Now, all I know is this. I got cancer. Did it have anything to do with it? I have no idea. But I will tell you this. 
Statistics show that 85% of the ills that we are afraid of oftentimes contribute to us getting them. I'm going to give you example number two. So after cancer and after God healed me through means of medicine and I was cancer free, I remember you got to get those checkups. It starts with every three months and then every six months and so forth. And I would literally go in and I would sit before my doctor and I'd be so nervous that I get it, that I get it, have my test, you have my test. She said, You have to stop doing that. You cannot be afraid of cancer anymore. Man, she was right. She said, When people are scared to death to get it again, many times they do. All I'm saying, I'm not saying anything, I'm just saying this. If attitude helps you, in the recovery of it, then just maybe attitude contributes to some of the ills that we have too. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. But here's another one, and we're almost finished. This is kind of spooky here. It'll cause us to be lost. I want you to notice some of the things that are here. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual immorality, immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We get all that. It's all bad stuff. Look at the word that's there too. The cowardly. And what that's talking about is, it's talking about someone that is a coward and won't do what's right. It's talking about somebody that won't earnestly contend for the faith. It's talking about somebody that won't be faithful unto death. It's talking about someone that will not stand up and do what's right and be saved. They're in that list too. They're in that list too. You know what the difference between? Please get this. The difference between a courageous man and a coward? What's the difference? What makes you either one? Here it is. What determines whether you are a courageous man or a coward is your response to fear. Oh, it's normal. It's natural. Your response determines what you are. Your response. So finally, in closing, how are we going to overcome it? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about overcoming it. First of all, understand that fear is a characteristic of the wicked. In Proverbs 28 and 1, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. I love that. Now, if somebody has a guilty conscience because they do bad things, they're fleeing when no one's pursuing. They're scared. They're paranoid, looking over their shoulder. Where are the cops? Because why? The things in which they do. But a God-fearing person, a Christian, a good person, righteous, they are bold as a lion. Bold as a lion. You know the words fear not or be not afraid appear in the Bible 180 times? You know what we do, though? This is what we do. What we say is we say, well, when the Bible says don't do this, that's a command. Got to stick to it, right? Don't do that. That's a command. Got to stick to it. Do this. That's a command. Got to stick to it. We get all that. But when it comes to fear, this is what we say. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's just encouraging suggestions. 
Jesus said over and over, fear not. Don't be afraid. Oh, those are just encouraging suggestions. No, they're commands. 180 times in the New Testament. So what are we going to do practically? We need to enthrone Jesus Christ in our life. We'll get to the practicality of that in just a second. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sakes, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Then in verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Notice, don't be afraid and then do so with meekness and fear. How are you going to do that? Here it is. Here it is. This is how you do it. You have to sanctify the Lord God in your heart. You have to sanctify the Lord God in your heart. How do you do that? It literally means to render or acknowledge to be sacred in your heart. It means to give the Lord a permanent place of reign and rule in your heart. It's a matter of putting your faith and trust in God. And remember that faith is the foe of fear. It's either faith or it's fear. Isaiah 26 and 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Also, never give counsel or be guided by your fears. A general one time was fearful of an attack planned in the Shenandoah Valley, and he expressed his fears to Stonewall Jackson, who told this general, he said, General, never take counsel of your fears. Don't be driven by your fears. Philippians 4.13, do you believe it or not? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you believe that or not? Have you enthroned Jesus in your heart? Is he reigning over your heart? Do you really trust him? Do you have any faith at all? I can do all things. That's not talking about running a track meet. That's talking about spiritual things. I can do all things that pertain to life and godliness. I can do that. I can do that. Jesus said I can do that through Christ. Philippians 4 and 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. you got to be a person of prayer. You want to be a person of faith? you got to be a person of prayer. And by the way, if you want to notice the first eight verses of Philippians chapter 4, where we get into the specifics of that, it's my turn on Wednesday night to direct our study, and we're going to talk about that. So please come back and hear that. Let's learn what the Bible says. In closing, and I'm finished. For years, Derek Redmond had trained for the 1992 Summer Olympics. Hopes ran high for his taking home gold. However, in the semifinal heat of the 400-meter event, 65,000 spectators, as if in shock, witnessed Derek's body give way to a torn hamstring. Then in awe, they observed this courageous man demonstrate for the whole world that a broken body does not mean a broken spirit. As he hopped behind his father to cross the finish line, millions then and now admire his courage and commitment. His example challenges all of us to do all that we can within our power to finish the race and to do so regardless of setbacks 
a metaphor of sorts for all persons who may even be in the latter part of life's race with their bodies giving way, but they still muster the will and inner strength to finish life strong. May we forever be faith-driven, and may we never anymore be fear-driven. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.